Welcome to The Answer Key, learning and leadership in the K-12 world. In 2014, Fairfax County Public Schools looked beyond high-stakes testing and asked this question of their Fairfax, Virginia community. What are the skills necessary for success for all children in this rapidly changing, increasingly diverse, and interconnected world? Teachers, students, school staff, parents, neighbors, civic leaders, and business owners responded to the question through listening tours and focus groups. The answer is this. The skills necessary for success for all children mean graduates are communicators, collaborators, ethical and global citizens, creative and critical thinkers, and finally, goal-directed and resilient. Today, we learn from school leaders how the attributes of Portrait of a Graduate are aligned in the day-to-day instruction of school children. You're listening to The Answer Key, learning and leadership in the K-12 world. So let's get started. With me is Andrea Hand, Program Manager in the Office of Curriculum Integration and Management, and educators Sarah Rolfing and Jesse Bagnall. Andrea, what does it mean when I hear someone say, the attributes of a portrait of a graduate are the center of the instructional universe? Well, Sandra, I really think that you alluded to this introduction and that this is what we want our students to become so they can be successful students and also successful in the workforce and as global citizens. So if we say that this is what we need them to become to be successful, then as educators, our role is to really facilitate the growth of those attributes. So there's uh, something I'm a little bit confused about. What is the difference between an attribute and a skill as it relates to portrait of a graduate. Anyone? So the attributes are really at the level of being. So those are the names of the attributes. I am a collaborator. I am a communicator. But when you're talking about being a collaborator or communicator, what does that mean? What do you do that makes you a collaborator? And that's where we get at the skills. So skills are the doing. I respect the ideas of my peers, even though they may be different from mine. I seek out information that I know is contradictory to my own thoughts so I can broaden my perspective. These are skills, things I can observe that let me know I'm a collaborator. Um, I agree exactly with Andrea, and I know when I went into this process, I wasn't exactly sure what the difference was, but these are the skills we want students to be able to do to then show they are a communicator, to show they are a collaborator. And these are skills that if they start learning them second grade, third grade, and they carry them on with them, once they get into the real world, they will be extremely successful. And I think um, from what this looks like in action as teachers, I think a lot of what we've been doing is practicing our naming and noticing. So, for example, in in the math field, um, that idea of let's take something like a number talk routine and then think through uh, this idea like if a student, for example, didn't um, hear somebody, they'll say, can you say that louder? And we'll talk and I say, I noticed that you asked a question to understand somebody better. That's part of being a communicator or the, that idea of they share an idea about their math thinking, a strategy, and this idea of somebody saying, well, I respectfully disagree with you, and then say why. So we'll notice and name that idea of, well, that's you being a collaborator, and it's it's one of those things where it's sometimes hard to make a soft skill visible. So that idea of trying to take an anchor chart or something so students really can name what they've done. 
You're listening to The Answer Key, learning and leadership in the K-12 world. My name is Sandra Brennan. We're talking about the skills and attributes of a successful school graduate and how these skills, some of what you would think are soft skills, are intentionally embedded in everyday teaching practices. So Sarah and Jesse, you're in the classroom all the time. What does that look like? How do you approach it? Jesse, would you go first? Sure. Um, so uh, to clarify, I'm a, an instructional coach and with a focus on math, but we, we just saw a need to really think through how to support our students with a, pr- a project, really a problem-based learning um, approach to instructional model with this focus of how do we get them and support them to communicate and collaborate with each other because it was there, um, but we weren't planning uh, strategically or intentionally mm-hmm. in, in a way that um, we have since started to think about after our work with Andrea. Yes, so I had been doing a bunch of the PBL problem-based learning um, assessments at the end of quarters for social studies or science. And last year, I was thankfully approached by uh, Kristen Kelsch, who also works with Andrea. And she wanted to see if her and Andrea could come into my classroom and try out a bigger project with Portrait of a Graduate. And I had heard of Portrait of a Graduate, and I had seen it on the pacing guides and in various trainings, but I had never fully implemented it. So I was excited and nervous to take this big project on. Like Mm Jesse said, we started planning in the spring, but the big push for the project was the last six weeks of the school year last year. And I think really that alludes to the the shift that we're talking with teachers in general about. It's the idea that if you say, my students are doing this anyway, Mm -hmm. then the ownership is on the teacher (laughs) to recognize those attributes and skills in students. And if we want skills to have, if we want students to have a growth mindset, be reflective and to constantly evolve and grow these skills, then we need to make it explicit for them. So the twist is, not my students are doing this anyway, but do your students know that they're mm-hmm. doing this? Mm-hmm. And to add on to Andrea, that's exactly, I know most teachers will say, I'm working with my students to become communicators with their partners and collaborators, but it's them, the students taking the ownership, being able to say, oh, today I asked a question and it helped me better understand my friend's idea, mm-hmm. where they can really take on that ownership and name what they did. That's when they're really fulfilling the portrait of a graduate skills. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like in higher grades uh, as opposed to lower grades? What what would you be looking for? So if you actually look at the Fairfax County Public Internet site, what you'll see there is the articulation of what these attributes are um, built out in skills that are very sophisticated. And that's the verbiage that you alluded to and when you talked about the adoption of Portrait of a Graduate in 2014. So by the school board, that was the articulation of what is a collaborator, what is a communicator. Part of the work of the instructional practice team within instructional services was to say, what does that look like in pre-K? What does that look like in grades K through 2? What does that look like in grades 9 through 12? So it's the idea that this is the goal, then we need to have an increase in sophistication in these skills across K-12. And so that has actually been done for us. And that can be found on the best practices intranet site. So it's the articulation of what do these skills look like across grade levels and over time so that students are constantly evolving. Let's do a name and notice segment. I name the attribute and you tell me how as a teacher you notice it in a classroom setting. Let's start with communicator. 
Uh, for a communicator, definitely listening and asking questions. And I noticed this a lot in my classroom last year with the game. I had students working in groups of three. And I specifically remember one student who was more of a timid, shy. He would kind of take to the back and just watch what the other students were doing. And the one day, he could not figure out how to make game pieces. And he finally stood up for himself and was like, can you help me? So and so, I just don't understand how to make these game pieces. And his friends came in and helped him out. And that just boosted his confidence so much, showing that he was able to stand up for himself and ask a question to better understand what was going on. Um, and an example, again, in a first grade classroom. So the communicator is, right, is our attribute. And then the specific skill is I listen and I ask questions so that I can understand. Um, and the first graders were thinking through the different kind of attributes that create uh, 2D figures. And when they shared an idea about their differences between a square and a rectangle, uh, one student would say their idea, and literally this was not teacher directed, a student from across their circle said, across the, they were sitting in a circle, said, so are you saying that, and asked a, a clarifying question, and they said, yes, that's what I'm saying, or no, that's not what I'm saying. And so the student would then say, oh, so what you really mean is, so they were really asking to understand and build on this network of, of shared ideas. I think another lens for communication is in the realm of technology, that face-to-face -face communication isn't the only modality anymore. So my mind also goes to the idea that I can share my thoughts in a blog through VoiceThread. I can then look at what other people have shared in the digital environment and offer them feedback in a thoughtful way there as well. What about the attribute of collaborator? Um, with collaborator, to add on to what we were saying with communicator, respectfully listening to ideas. And now that I'm a second grade teacher, I'm seeing students come up from the first grade level who are using things such as, well, I respectfully disagree. And I love when I hear that because that shows me my students are listening to each other. They're understanding what their friends are saying, but then they're also able to give their own opinion. And it's all done without any hurt feelings. My students understand that this is an open community. We all share ideas and opinions. And it's OK if someone disagrees with you. Mm -hmm. We are noticing, though, yesterday, <laughs> as of yesterday when we did our rounds, that um, they love, they get very excited to um, pick apart ideas. And so we, we're noticing, perhaps, that there's all this, this need that if they're you know adults and they've gone to a dinner party and they immediately say, I, I disagree <laughs> with you, that that might not go over well. So I think that we're. Uh, realizing that perhaps we want to make sure that we are totally fully listening to somebody's idea to understand first uh, and then think about how does that fit in with the way you see the world and how you understand things. So that's kind of where we are as of yesterday. So what about an example for ethical and global citizen? What would you see in the upper grade levels, Andrea? I think there's this idea that there are other cultures and perspectives in the world. And just because going off mm -hmm. of that disagreement idea, that just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean that they're wrong or that you're wrong, but that you can have a different perspective based on your experience. I also think this carries over into critical literacy, the idea that when you as I, I, this falls under communication as well, but when you are taking in communication, that there is a lens of bias on on both sides always. So evaluating what that bias mm -hmm. might be. So critical and creative thinker. That uh, is an ongoing mission of every yes. teacher. Mm -hmm. You would see that in multiple ways. You name and notice in, can you give me examples how you would name and notice under with this lens? 
my mind goes immediately to project-based learning mm-hmm. or STEAM because you are putting students through a process where they're collaborating and they're going to have lots of ideas, but they're going to have to land on one. So students need to articulate why an idea is a good one and why it should be implemented. And then when we do go through a learning process such as that, there is failure always, which mm-hmm. is a good thing because we all fail repeatedly in life. So it's about the idea of taking that experience and what happened when it didn't go right. What did you do? Did you pick your yourself up and try over? Did you iterate that mistake so that it could be improved? So let's do the final one. Goal-directed and resilient individual. What do you name? What do you notice? I think that's a similar uh, sentiment to what Andrea was just sharing. It's, it's this idea, right, that there are full, there's like life is full of struggles and ups and downs. And so when you are at that down moment, you know, how do you persist in that idea of giving student feedback, you know, that idea of I, it's the, like putting this resolve or grit into their world and helping them to real, to realize that this is such a human experience. And so what are the ways that we can pick ourselves back up and learn from our mistakes to apply to, to new learning and moving forward. It's awesome. So Jesse, as a coach, mm-hmm. what are the kind of tips, um, what kind of approach do you have with a, uh, a colleague, uh, a, a master teacher who's been mm-hmm. doing their work really well for a number of years and they're coming in and or you're coming in, and mm-hmm. are you asking them to do something different? Are you asking them to assess their work? What is the dialogue like? Yeah, so in the, like the living, breathing, day-to-day world at our school, um, the, the fun thing has been watching good things grow um, from a really organic way with the work of, of Sarah's room, and people hear success stories, and then they become curious and want to try that for the greater the students that they're working with closely and I see my role as a connector for people as well as trying to say okay so you're interested in in this now or this approach or thinking about portrait of a graduate so let's let's get you started let's start small Uh, I think that's a big thing we are at at least at our school we have a lot of uh, people that are so interested in going full throttle and we want things to be successful so narrowing our focus um, to a small first step so that would look like now we have um, a lot of teachers trying out um, a unit of study of their choice, any content, and thinking through, I'm going to really highlight a few of our um, portrait of a, of a graduate attributes, but then really hone in on a, a specific skill within that. And it's working in tandem with the content. Um, it's not a replacement. It's supporting. And we talk, often talk about like, negotiating meaning in the world around us. And so as teachers, a lot of our conversations are, um, how can we... How can I learn something new as a result of co-constructing knowledge with a peer or peers or my whole classroom? So I think that we part of the fun in my role is is walking in and modeling or supporting or helping teachers uh, name and and notice is a lot of what we're saying now. Name and noticing when students are using these skills, so we're raising the awareness and in them and then our idea is to transfer that practice and ownership on to them so that they can say oh you know for example Andrea I noticed that you were a communicator today because you asked me a question to make sure you understood what I what I meant with my idea so that is spreading in our school um, slowly but surely and I think that's kind of a wonderful thing to watch it it happen in a really organic way.
The great thing with the portrait of graduate skills, they are broken up by grade level. So for example, last year when I took on this big project, I was teaching third grade, but we decided because of the needs of my students and you know some students are still acquiring the language, we went down to the K to two standards. And we were able to find three goals that we wanted them to work on, and it is definitely attainable. And like Jesse said, if you model for them, or if you call them out like, ooh, I noticed that you were just respectfully listening to your buddy. When we go to share at the end, can you share out what that looked like and sounded like? So when they see and hear it, they can start taking ownership and actually taking it on to the point where as we got farther into the project, we no longer had to point it out. They were able to run over, I had made a bulletin board where they could see the three goals and say, oh, that just happened. I asked a question and I understood what my buddy was Mm -hmm. trying to tell me. So as long as you model it for them, I think any grade level could handle this. And I think um, they started to realize that it, we valued that, that we valued those skills in in the people that we work with as adults and in each other um, in, a, in a way that felt a little bit different. I don't know that it had always seemed so teacher valued. And so once they realized that this was um, something that was really important for them as learners, that, that, that took on a new meaning for them and new purpose for them as well. And I think additionally, you all articulated the actual experience so well. The hope is that as you talk about these skills, they're more successful with the content outcomes because we're Mm -hmm. naming things that will actually help them be more successful with that original outcome. Mm -hmm. Andrea, what are the challenges for you? As you, you work in a very large school system, what are you seeing? What are your challenges? I really think when you look at instructional models that are starting to get a lot of momentum, for example, project or problem-based learning, or we can even think about blended learning, the purpose of those isn't project-based learning in and of itself or blended learning in and of itself. The purpose is to revolutionize instruction so students have more opportunities to practice skills such as this that are going to be relevant past even just their school time. They're very relevant to their lifetime. Um, As far as challenges go, you named it. We're a really large division. So one of the things that we really try to do on the instructional practice team is get out and work with teams to show them the impact that being explicit with students on portrait of a graduate can have in their classrooms and on their students and on learning. And additionally, I think that it, it is the idea that we have to collectively push in the same direction to get a lot of movement in something mm-hmm. so big. So areas where I think we could improve would be on secondary, particularly, where you have people who have a very, very significant level of expertise in their content, aren't necessarily seeing the connections yet to these skills. And I think we could do a better job at communicating how they help students be more successful. Sounds like it's going to be a trickle up process. I mean, if you if you have your success uh, and your buy-in early on, over time, doesn't this just become part of the culture of the school system? I think it, you know, Jesse alluded to when mm-hmm. people see good things happening, they want to know more and they want to try it out. So that is something that we're, we're very aware of and we're really trying to benefit off early adopters, dynamic change that happens. How has your teaching changed, uh, Jesse? Uh, well, th- do you want to answer that one? So, oh, yeah. Um, for me, I, you know, I took this project on at the end of last year, still teaching third grade, and now this year I've shifted to teaching second grade. So I haven't necessarily 
um, taken on any portrait of a graduate work yet this year. But just from looking through the pacing guide and different resources that we do have online, it's something that I'm hoping now that we've made it to the second quarter that I can start introducing skills with my students in second grade and just trying to see throughout the day, are they acting as communicators and collaborators and can they name? And I know when we started this project, Andrea said it's best to take something on in small doses than taking on a very large project. So maybe just zoning in on one skill and really talking about it to your students and really modeling it for them noticing when they do it and seeing when do they start noticing that other friends are doing it around them or themselves and as they take on that skill then you could start adding more on so that's something that I hope to do um, moving farther into second quarter. Some of the things that I see or in the work that I do is um, trying to again it's that idea of letting people know like this is a successful thing that happened would you like to know more about it and often everybody really wants what's best for their kids everybody's trying to do um, right by them and make good decisions so when they hear of positive success stories and they're more willing to try something on there's a little bit more buy-in and I think um, for me I've been with the county for maybe 11 years so I remember as this was starting to roll out and as you kind of get used to something, um, you know, you, you you have like a first level, a transmission level of, okay, I can see these POGS attributes as a teacher and I'm starting to name them. And as uh, we've taken a deeper dive, my other counterpart, his name is Anthony Ramakis and he's a, a math coach also with me. We teach a math course at our school and we think about embedding these also for um, our teachers and thinking about, let's notice and name these attributes in ourselves and what do we need to have um, as as coworkers to support each other and, and our collaborative teams. Because it's it really just impacts everything that we do. And if we want our students to be successful with us and with through graduation and beyond, then what are we putting in place for them so that they will have these as attributes to help them be successful citizens of the future? So I think those are some of the the direct ways that I'm thinking about supporting the work and when I work with teachers if I'm coaching and or taking more of a coaching stance uh, I think through some of the questions that I ask or have people kind of think about as they start to make decisions as they plan is another way it's kind of spreading and becoming a part of our culture. So it's a very intentional process. Yeah. Can you speak further about that? Absolutely. I think when we adopted Portrait of a Graduate and we talk about what it means to be a collaborator and a communicator, it's sort of somewhat nebulous. We need to get concrete about what are strategies and things that I can do in my classroom in order to arrive at that reality for my students. So when my team goes out and work with school teams, essentially we do say start small. And it's because we need to think about when we make a change, we want to be intentional about it and we want to understand its impact. So we want to line a few school, a few skills with a unit of study within a window of time so we can look and calibrate and see what what was the change that happened within that unit of study for articulating Mm -hmm. the skills through portrait of a graduate that could support us. Um, We try to make the strategies really concrete. So let's make it visual. So let's post anchor charts. Let's put reminders up for the students. Let's make common language part of our routine with students. So if you do responsive classroom, making it a part of your morning meeting, Mm -hmm. provide students the opportunity to reflect with one another and have conversations about how they're using these skills so that not only can they reflect for themselves, but they can name them for others because we know students are very peer-centered as well. Mm -hmm. So when I say, Sandra, I thought you did an excellent job of communicating your wonders with that question, you now feel validated and that's something that you have a skill at, so you're going to continue to do that. Um, I also think that 
we need to think about measuring its impact. This is a big challenge as well because soft skills are difficult to measure. And so we really are thinking about similar to content. How do we get evidence from students of growth in these skills? And then how can we as teachers have criterion that allows us to see that growth in a way that's valuable so we know they're making progress, but more important that they know they're growing so that there's motivation to continue to do so. What kind of assessments do you have in place now? I'm, where where are you on that spectrum? So this is a timely question. Um, <laughs> the student self-assessments are really what have gained a lot of momentum in schools, and those were published about two years ago. So what this does is provide students the opportunity to say which skills they've demonstrated and to provide evidence of when they demonstrated those skills, and then to say overarchingly, more from a metacognitive reflection lens, what they're good at and what they need to grow at. I'd also like to say that those were my job interview <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, um, and then essentially when we look at those pieces of evidence, we just published last week, so it's going to be posted on the best practices intranet site. It's already in eCart. Essentially, it's um, a teacher scoring guide for student evidence. So it's very much parallel to how we look at content-based assessment, but it's the idea that students provide the evidence, there's criterion for scoring, and we do the same sort of scaffolds and supports for students who are struggling to provide that evidence mm -hmm. as we would for content. Yeah, um, kind of an exciting thing that we just did our uh, yesterday our own take on instructional round, so it's similar process to um, Battelle for Kids. And what we started to realize is we we um, took a little litmus test, just a dipstick of where our school is, is that um, our our teachers really are starting to teach and speak in these ways where we're really highlighting and naming all of these skills for our students. And so we know we, what we're going to do next. We're starting to work on it and <laughs> trying to help support the students um, taking that on. And they are the ones actually highlighting it. But it's really been kind of fun to watch some of the work that has happened over the past few years align with the support from Andrea and Kristen and then really seeing it spread um, K-6 at, at our school. So that's a, an exciting thing to see when hard work is starting to pay off for, mm -hmm. for students. And then I don't know. I mean, I guess like if, if we really drill down some of the success stories with there's a few students I can think of from our work last mm -hmm. year that it just made a world of difference for. Yeah. And I think it's really important that when you're talking about successes or growths for students that you name it, not the generic, I think, back in the day teaching like great job. Awesome, but being able to say, oh, I noticed today that you really focused, you were able to research, and you got five new facts written down. Maybe tomorrow you can try to get up to seven. And it gives them a goal to work towards, mm -hmm. but also with the self-evaluation, it lets them really think, what is something that I'm doing well right now? What is something that I want to get better at by the end? And then it really, they take it on, and it's a part of them that they want to get better at. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they're proud of what they did. And I know I listened to one of your previous podcasts about how sometimes students take work home and throw it in the trash can, and we don't want that to happen. We want them to say, can I take that home? I want to give it to my mom. Or mm -hmm. I know last year our big project was we created games, and my students at the end of the year kept asking, well, what are you going to do with them? Where are you going to put them? Can I take it home? And when I told them I was saving it for next year's class to use and to learn from, they were just so excited and so enthusiastic, and it just made them work even harder knowing that other people would be using their games not just this year but in the years to continue on. And I think to piggyback off the idea that the self-assessment really is the most important thing, 
the idea is that students can transfer these mm -hmm. skills to other situations. So sometimes we do things because we're passionate and we're not really aware of what we're doing. An example of that, I'm gonna give a shout out to my nine-year-old son, Brody, who <laughs> loves nature and science. And he turned our sunroom into a monarch butterfly habitat. And he was extremely organized, fastidious, meticulous. We had butterflies that we took all the way from eggs to release. And that's a big feat because milkweed, by the way, has to be changed daily. Oh. <laughs> he did not realize that the organization skills he was applying in a context of passion could really support him in other areas like homework or cleaning his room. And so that's where when students become aware of what they're doing and what the impact is, there's the ability to say, oh, I wasn't just really successful in the sunroom because I love butterflies. It's because that drove me to have certain behaviors. And I can take those into a context that's not as preferred, but it will let me be more successful and get over some of the struggles that I have in those other areas. So. Our time is um, coming to a close. What is your advice to other teachers as they approach and implement Portrait of, of a Graduate into their curriculum? Mm -hmm. um, I think if you can reach out for support, mm -hmm. I had an amazing support team working with me that I could bounce questions off of or if I was unsure of something. And also, start small. Take on something that might only take a week to two weeks and maybe one skill. And then as you become more comfortable with it and your students understand these portrait of a graduate skills, then you can start adding on. Yeah, my advice is similar to Sarah's. Uh, I, at least I prefer to have a mix of working alone and with somebody. And so with something really brand new, I think it was helpful to just kind of get mired in, in the newness with somebody and think through what this will look like and, and really to think about the needs of your students and what you see already in place to capitalize. So building um, kind of more of not necessarily a deficit model, but thinking through what are students doing and what can I capitalize on because I think it will take them farther. I'm going to piggyback off of, off of um, Dr. Brabant's cat number one, cat number two, and cat number three idea. And just the idea within that, that we're not cat number three at everything. And I think that a lot of us could improve on the intentionality with mm -hmm. which we approach portrait of a graduate in our classrooms. The ultimate benefit of that comes to our students. So in that growth mindset, realize that outcomes are aligned with effort. So reach mm -hmm. out, make the effort, take the first step to be intentional with your students around this work so that they can have that lifeline to be more successful, not just in school, but in life. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Portrait of a Graduate is the center of a Fairfax County public school education, and it reflects our larger community. Thank you for listening. This interview is produced by the Department of Information Technology, Fairfax County Public Schools.